All right, hey guys, welcome to lesson eight. Well, I'm sure you're saying, praise the Lord, he finally changed his clothes. <laughs> I did, I went and showered, I changed my clothes, and I'm ready to dig in now. Genesis 19, for this whole week, these, these seven different lessons, I'm ready to dig into Genesis 19 through 29, because for the last seven days, we've plowed through Genesis 1 through 18, talking about what I would say, and we have this written up here on the board, we're talking about the seed of Christ. Now remember, uh, you know, if some of you are just catching up, you're like, hey, I missed some of the first week, you're just catching up. Remember this painting over here that Mindy has done, it's talking about all of Genesis and how there's the seed. This is what the theme is in the book of Genesis. 50 chapters. You have the seed of the serpent. Remember when the serpent, Satan spoke through the serpent and he, and he tricked and he tempted and then Adam and Eve fell into the temptation of, of sin. And because of that, they, they took a bite of the fruit. And because of the bite of the fruit, we now have to deal with sin. But praise the Lord, the seed of Christ is there. And I, I love this painting because there's the seed of Christ. We still have hope. We still have potential in, in how God can speak through us, use us, and help even advance the kingdom of God. Because one thing I got, I want you to remember, this school, Revive School, it's not about just to sit and study. You guys, it is about how do we take this and apply it to start changing our culture. Because I believe one of the cultures, when we pour into a city, they're going to radically change the whole community. And we're going to see corporate revival. And I'm praying that it comes through through you, through me, and through this this little team. And so Genesis 1 through 18, the only way that can happen is through the seed of Christ. But now here's the deal. In Genesis 19, as we begin to dig into Genesis 19, it's probably one of the worst chapters in all of scripture. I mean, can you guys have Rich, Kevin, and Jeff and Tom here again? We're digging into the second week. And can you guys think of a worse situation than Sodom and Gomorrah? Uh, you know, Rich, the only thing I could think of is, is you remember when Jesus cursed the cities? And he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethesda, woe to you, woe to you, woe, woe, woe to you, Capernaum, right? He says, those, I think, right, those three. So, like, he cursed these different cities in the sense of, like, or I don't, I, yeah, like, nothing's going to happen. Maybe the same context. But in the Old Testament, you have Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because of sin. Okay, just to give you a little backdrop before we get into Genesis 19. You remember you have the, the three visitors. You have the two angels and the pre-incarnate Christ that we know of. We can't officially say that. But then these men and Abraham, it says they got up from there and they looked out over Sodom. And so it was almost like, I want you to see what's coming. And Abraham was walking with them to see them off. And, and in verse 17, I don't think Abram knew what they were going to talk about. But then the Lord said, should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? Should, should I tell him about the destruction that's going to come? I don't know, it's interesting. And then he also says, but I'm going to bless you. In verse 18, he says, Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation. This is the theme all throughout Genesis. Don't, don't, I feel like I'm just hitting repeat. Don't you guys feel like everything is repeat? Hey, oh, by the way, Abraham, you're going to be a great and powerful nation. Repeat. Oh, by the way, the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Repeat. Keeps going on to verse 19. Uh, I've chosen him so that he'll command his children in his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So in other words, I'm going to protect Abram, his seed, his family, because ultimately that leads to the seed of Christ, which is the Messiah. <laughs> and this is how the Lord's going to fulfill to Abraham what he promised. Now, here's the crazy thing. Uh, in the end of Genesis 18, he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy this, this community. Because it says in Genesis 18, 20, then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense and their sin is extremely serious. Now, what is the sin? At this moment, at this point, you and I don't know. But I will tell you, he's going to get into it, and this is not a, a kid-friendly lesson. Let's just put it that way. 
I also know how to describe this. You can't candy coat some of the things. And by the way, we're not going to today. And so all of a sudden in verse 24, Abram and the Lord, Abraham and the Lord, they're, they're having this dialogue about saving and sparing the city. And Abraham says, well, what if there's 50 righteous people in the city? Would you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people who are in it? In other words, hey, if there's 50 legit people who are righteous, surely you wouldn't kill them and everybody else. That, that wouldn't make sense. And he, he's a smart negotiator. You know, in fact, so much so that he, he continues on. Kevin, if you would go to verse 28, he talks about 45 people. What, what if there's 45 people? And then in verse 29, uh, he continues on. He says, well, what if, maybe there's 40 people. In other words, God, surely you wouldn't sweep away this whole city if there's 40 people. And then it just continues. It goes from 30 to 20. And then in verse 32, this is his last ditch, at, last ditch effort. And he says, all right, let the Lord not be angry. And I'll speak one more time. You guys ever feel like you've done that with the Lord? You're kind of like, Lord, I got, I got one more angle, one more thing I just want to share. And he says, suppose there's 10. And he answers, I will not destroy it on the account of 10. These are the last interactions, last words that they have about the negotiations. And so now let's jump into, and it says, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed and Abraham returned to his place. And so now if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, geez, what, what's going to happen here? Genesis 1833 just says, well, he's not going to destroy anything if, if there's 10. But then in verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1, this is the daily reading for today. And uh, the lesson number 8 and says, the two angels, they entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at Sodom's gate. Now, I, I've always wondered, do you guys think these are the two angels that were just with them? I mean, Makes sense. it would make sense. But all I know is, is we don't know if they're the exact same ones. But the two angels, they entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at Sodom's gate. Now, right away when I see this, this, this intrigues me because when the angels and maybe the pre-incarnate Christ came into Genesis 18, Rich, do you remember where Abraham was sitting? In the opening of the tent. Yeah, he was at the opening of the tent. Abraham still views himself as a foreigner, as a traveler, as an alien in the land. But now look where Lot is. Lot is literally sitting at the gate. In other words, many theologians, many commentators would say he's made himself at home. In fact, it usually implies he's a man of authority. So if Lot's at the gate, as a man of authority, he has power. He probably, even at one point, you're viewed even in, when you're at the gate, maybe even as an elder or as a lawyer, a person with position to handle legal matters. So Lot, Lot's not a rookie. Lot's not a novice who just happens to be there. Lot's in part of an entrenched in Sodom. This is interesting to me. It says, when Lot saw them, he got up to meet them and he bowed with his face to the ground. And he said in verse two, I, I do want to just, I want to just say this before we go on. This comparison of Abraham at the tent and Lot at the gate. Abraham viewed his city as the heavenly city that's not here on earth. Lot viewed Sodom as, as the earthly city that, that was his place. You know, one of the things that I love what, what Wearsby says as well is that Abraham is a friend of God and not, not of this world. And that doesn't mean he's not friends with people. Whereas Lot, though, is a friend of the world. Does that make sense? It's the weirdest picture, but how they're living their lives. And in verse 2, at that point, now, is it 100% that Lot is? No, because you'll see at the end, Lot is spared. And I'll just let the cat out of the bag because of his friendship and his relationship with Abraham. Remember the seven promises that we talked about. People that are a part of and connected to Abraham are blessed. I believe Lot is going to be spared because of his, his relationship to Abraham. And it has nothing to do with with who Lot is. 
We'll unpack that even more. But if you go to verse 2 of Genesis 19, my lords, turn aside to your servant's house. He's got these two, two angels. Wash your feet and, and spend the night. Then you can get up early and go on your way. You know, to me, when I read this, I don't see Abraham's hospitality. I don't see, come on in. I, I, you know what I see is, hey, get in here. You can spend the night and in the morning, you can leave. Because the reality is, is in Sodom, things aren't good. And, and maybe Lot knows that. Maybe Lot knows the reality of what's going on and he would just rather them go on their way. But I will tell you this, whenever you host people, Kevin, if you could, you could go to Hebrews 13 too. You never know when you open up your door. I believe this still happens today. I believe this is still true. Hebrews 13 too, it talks about entertaining people. He says, don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. I'll tell you, there's still, uh, to this day, my wife and I manage Swiss Air Apartments in downtown Dallas and off of Gaston Avenue. And there was this girl that came and spent the night at her house. Laura and I just said, yeah, she, she knew somebody that we knew or something. And by the end, I, I'll never forget when she left, Laura and I both go, I wonder if that was a, an angel. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever had interactions or thoughts of like, was that an angel? All I know is, is that if we're supposed to, it says don't neglect to show hospitality. And so in fact, time revive when we travel, we always stay in local homes. And that's not because we're angels. <laughs> Just for the record. Humans are not angels. You shouldn't worship angels. You shouldn't pray to angels, but you should show hospitality to them because you never know when they just might show up. All right, so go back if you would, Kevin, Genesis 19, verse two, it says, now they would rather spend the night in the square, and but yet it continues on in verse three, but he urged them lot so strongly that they followed him in and went into his house. He prepared a feast and he baked unleavened bread for them and they ate. Now, so I will say this, he began to, to loosen up. He began to say, oh, hey, I'm, I'm gonna give them a, a feast. And so scripture continues on, Kevin, if you would, in verse four, before they went to bed, the men of the city of Sodom. Now, the, it says both young and old, the whole population. I've done enough studies where they say most of the population. You guys got any ideas? You guys want to guess how many people they think this was at this time? Kevin, give, give me a number, Kevin. Even if it was a hundred, that's a lot of people. Okay, good. Uh, keep going up. It's between, they estimate between 600 to 1200 people. So I just, I guess in my mind, when I think of Sodom, I think like thousands. I think like lots, not the case at all. So it says the young and the old, the whole population, they surrounded Lot's house. Remember, Abram had a tent. Lot had a home. And that wasn't originally the case in Genesis 13, 10 and 11. It just says at Genesis 13, 10 and 11, and then goes on to verse 12. It says that he didn't have actually a substance house. He was just traveling. So somewhere in the road, when Lot transferred over into this community, he said, this is my place. Guys, I want to encourage each and every one of you, each and every one of you, you're not um, of this world. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. You know how many times I come home and I, I feel like I should do more and more in my house, but the reality is God just says, this isn't your place. It's interesting enough. It says they got surrounded literally by, you should see my drawings. In fact, you know, why not? Let's do this. So I have a, a house here. And then all of a sudden you have all these little people and these people are surrounding the house of, of Lot. And it doesn't really look good. And in fact, it says six, 600 to 1,200 people are there. And if you would, go to verse 5. Genesis 19, 5, it says, and this is where, I'll just tell you, if you have younger kids, 
this is where it gets a little bit more graphic. I know it's in the scriptures, but it says, they called out to the lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? In other words, where are these two angels, these two men that just showed up, these guests? Send them out to us so that we can have sex with them. I don't know how to candy coat this, is that that's what they want to do. They want to actually have relations with the men in their house. It doesn't get any more graphic to me. To me, in fact, there's over two, there's over 20 references outside of Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah. And so what took place in Sodom and Gomorrah, everybody knew about. In fact, the writer in, in the New Testament, Jude, Kevin, if you would go, there's one chapter there, but go to verse seven, Jude one, verse seven. This is what, this is what happened. It's Jude 1, verse 7, and, and just so you know, it really means sex. This is what they wanted to have. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions, just as angels did, and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. They knew what they were doing. Men and men, they wanted sexual relations, and that's not how God designed it. He didn't design man and man. He didn't design woman and woman. He designed man and woman for those two to interact. In fact, Kevin, if you would, this is crazy to me. Isaiah 3, 9, over and over again, you're going to see uh, people referencing Sodom. You're going to see referencing Gomorrah. They look, the look on their faces testifies against them. And like Sodom, they flaunt their sin. They parade their sin. Can I just tell you this? I think it's the weirdest thing that the homosexual community, they have parades in America. They flaunt it. They put stickers up there, the, the rainbow stickers. And by the way, that's, that's God's rainbow, not your rainbow. And then they have these other stickers that have other colors on it. It's like they're flaunting. I'm, they're okay with it. That's a slap in the face of Christ on the cross. You can't live both worlds. You can't live as a homosexual and be a follower of Christ. It, it doesn't make any sense scripturally. In Isaiah 3, 9, they said, oh, by the way, like Sodom, people are flaunting their sins. And I can just tell you this, homosexuality is detestable in the Lord's eyes. In fact, Leviticus 18, 22, I'm going to go there with some Old Testament scriptures. Leviticus 18, 22, you're not to sleep with a man as, a, as with a woman. It is detestable. Leviticus 20, verse 13, same thing. Watch this. It continues to build the case. This is Moses writing this case. If a man sleeps with a man as with a woman, they have both committed a detestable thing. Now watch what it says in Leviticus. They must be put to death. Their blood is on their own hands. This is not a pretty thing. And so all of a sudden, if you can go back to my little board over here, Rich, you have men surrounding a house saying, oh, by the way, we want to have sex with these people in the house, these men, and the scripture says, that's detestable. Scripture continues on in Jeremiah 23, 14. There's multiple illustrations about what Sodom and Gomorrah is like. In Jeremiah 23, 14, it says, among the prophets of Jerusalem, also, I saw a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers and none turns his back on evil. They're all like Sodom to me. Jerusalem's residents are like Gomorrah. So here you have a prophet, Jeremiah. You have a prophet, Isaiah. You have a people, Moses in Leviticus, that's writing this. People know about Sodom and Gomorrah and it's not good. It's horrible. And I just want to say this, there's no hierarchy of sin, okay? So if you're if you're walking in adultery, yes, it's still sin. But in this case, in Sodom and Gomorrah's case, it's homosexuality. So I just, they're like, well, why is he hammering homosexuality? Because it's in Genesis 19. That's why. And in fact, Jesus even references Sodom and Gomorrah. Kevin, if you would, could you go to Matthew 10, verse 14? Matthew 10, verse 14. And again, I'm building the case here of all of this sin. 
And in Matthew 10, 14, if anybody would not, will, will not welcome you or listen to your word, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house. Uh, I assure you, it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. In other words, they should welcome you. But by the way, uh, it's just as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Genesis 19, verse 6. And so after they, here they are, they're saying, send them out. We want to have sex. In verse 6, Lot went out to them at the entrance and he shut the door behind them. Can you imagine all of this town shouting? And the only reason I think Lot went out there was probably because he knew them. But also he was courageous. He had to go out there and I can just picture, and I won't go in front of this. I can just picture getting in front of the door and closing it and kind of just standing here like, please don't come in. Please, please don't come in. And then in verse seven, he says, don't, don't do this evil, my brothers. I believe Lot knew the distinction between good and evil. I believe he knew what was taking place. And in fact, Kevin, can you go there? Second Peter 2 six through eight. Second Peter two, six through eight. He knew the distinction between good and evil. He knew what they wanted to do in second Peter two, six through eight. It says, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to ruin, making them as an example to those who are going to be ungodly. Verse seven. And if he rescued righteous lot distressed, watch this. He was distressed by the unrestrained behavior of the immoral. Keep going to verse eight. For as he lived among them, He lived among them, you guys. That righteous man tormented himself day by day with the lawless deeds he saw and heard. So here you have Lot, a righteous man who's giving into these worldly things. Remember these things that were evil. And he is being tormented by what's taking place. And if we can go back to Genesis 19. And so here's his option. By the way, guys, I don't want you to have sex with these two guests. But oh, by the way, in verse 8, look, I've got two daughters who haven't had sexual relations with a man. I'll bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want to do them, want to them. However, don't do anything to these men because they have come under the protection of my roof. And so in verse nine, (laughs) the argument continues. Get out of the way, they said. This one has come here as a foreigner, but he's acting like a judge. Now all of a sudden, they're calling Lot a foreigner. And he's acting like the judge like Moses did in Exodus 2. Now we'll do more harm to you than to them. So they put pressure on Lot and came up to break down the door. And then praise the Lord in verse 20. The angels, they reached out, they brought Lot into the house with them, and then they they shut the door. And in verse 11, it says, They struck the men who were at the entrance of the house, both young and old, with a blinding light so that they were unable to find the entrance. (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't know why this is funny. I just picture them like, hey, where's the door? can't find it. And then they probably end up hitting each other. This blinding light, it makes me think of, do you guys remember uh, when Elisha, uh, he prayed over and he brought, na- the nation brought blindness. He brought blindness to the whole nation. Thanks, Kevin, for your honesty. Second Kings 6. Uh, and so there's this blindness. Bruce Walkey says it was kind of like they, their eyes were dazzled and, and they were deceived. They, they couldn't figure out which way was which. And so two angels instantly, they brought about a blinding light. And then verse 12 keeps going here. Uh, it says, then the angel said to Lot, do you have anybody else here, a son-in-law, your sons, daughters, or anybody else in the city who belongs to you? Because you got to get them out of this place. In verse 13, why? For we're about to destroy this place. Because the outcry against its people is so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. I do think it's interesting that God cares for the family. I do think it's interesting. You remember Noah? He took his wife and his three sons and their wives, and so he spared eight people. Now, all of a sudden, he's saying, hey, by the way, get your daughters that you offered for sex to all these men. Get your daughters, 
And if you have any sons-in-law, if you have any sons, I want you to get everybody because we want to save them as well. And so in verse 14, Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws, sons-in-law, so who are going to marry his daughters. I think that's interesting. He says, get up. He said, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But look at how his son-in-laws respond. They thought he was joking. Hey, guys, hurry up. Get your bags. Get your clothes. We got to get out of here. Yeah, right. Beat it. They thought he was crying woof. They thought he was like uh, just being fake. And I'll just tell you, somewhere in this, Lot has had no credibility with his family. Lot is not walking with the Lord. And it's crazy to me because Wearsby says, after Lot left Abraham, his character deteriorated. It says, at daybreak, the angels urged Lot on, get up, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. Did, did the sons-in-law go with them? No. no. <laughs> so it says this, at daybreak, he urged them, I want you to keep going, you guys. I want you to go. I want you to get out of here. Go to back to verse, verse 15, Kevin, if you can. Uh, you'll be swept, or you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. Do you guys remember Abraham's prayer? Abraham, remember that in Genesis 18? Do you guys remember this? It just said, as he's praying, you know how he kept talking about, he's surely you won't sweep away. And in fact, there is in Genesis, 19, Genesis 18, verse 24, but if there are 50 righteous people in the city, will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people? Will you really sweep it away? Now, if you're going to go to Genesis 19, it's crazy to me because this is what he says in verse 15, uh, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. In other words, the sweeping of the way is coming. I'm going to take and clear house with this whole thing. But it says he hesitated. I think this is weird to me. Why, why would Lot hesitate? You guys have any thoughts? Why would Lot hesitate? He didn't have that that trust in the Lord that he was actually going to do what he said. Absolutely. Anything else? Jeff, Rich? Well, as we talked, he'd, he'd put his roots down kind of. Yeah. I think it's more, uh, Bruce Walkey said this, Lot has found more security in the evil city than he did in the city uh, outside with God, than outside the city with God. Let me say that again. Does that make sense? He found more security in the city, this evil city, than he did leaving the city with God in the unknown. But because of the Lord's compassion, I mean, in verse 16, the men grabbed his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his daughters, and then they brought him out and left him outside the city. Even though he hesitated, God, God spared him. His wife and his two kids. It continues on in verse 17, as soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, run for run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plane. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. This is the theme. It's coming. The sweeping is coming. And in verse 18, but Lot said to them, no, Lord, please. Like Lot is still constantly like debating whether this is going to happen or can I keep doing this? It's unbelievable to me. And in verse 19, your servant has indeed found favor in your sight and you have shown me great kindness by saving my life, but I, I can't run to the mountains. I'm out of shape. I can't run to the mountains. There's no way I can do it. Why else would he say this? He doesn't think he's going to make it. Fear is overtaking everything. He says, I can't run to the mountains. A disaster will overtake me. I am not fast enough and I will die. So in verse 20, look, this town is close enough for me to run to. It's a small place. Please let me go there. It's only a small place, isn't it? So that I can survive. This is crazy to me. He's completely functioning in fear. And in verse 21, he said to him, all right, 
I'll grant your request about this matter too, and will not demolish the town you mentioned. <laughs> In verse 22, hurry up, run there, for I cannot do anything until you get there. And then the town's name, this little town's name is, therefore the name of the city is Zoar. It it's means insignificant. <laughs> it's in size. I think that's really awesome to me. Oh, by the way, this is an insignificant town. In verse 23, the sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zoar. Then out of the Lord, out of the sky, the Lord rained burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord. I love this. Josephus, the great historian, he said, God sent a thunderbolt to set the city on fire. And in verse 25, to, to wrap all of this up uh, as much as we can, he demolished the cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the city and whatever grew on the ground. But his wife looked back. This is Lot's wife. Remember, it was him, his Lot's wife and his two daughters. She looked back and became a pillar of salt. She would look back for her for her safety. She looked back for her her security. And the second that she looked back, she became a pillar of salt. This is what's happening is that when you look back, you're missing out what God wants for us in the future. And Lot had still a future. Why? Because he was connected to Abraham and Sarah forgot this. In fact, Luke 9, 62, crazy illustration and maybe drastic and extreme. But in Luke 9, verse 62, it's talking about how we cannot look back. Luke 9, verse 62, it says, but Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And then finally in Luke 17, Kevin, if you go there, verse 31, on that day, a man on his housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who's in the field must not turn back. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife? Verse 33, whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I love this picture because God is just saying, if you want to live like this in a Sodom and Gomorrah world, you want to be comfortable at the gate. Oh, by the way, destruction is coming. I know that sounds drastic, but he's giving us an illustration, though, of, of, of another answer. He's giving us the seed, and that seed comes through Abraham. Watch what it does in verse 27, and this is how God puts it all together. Early in the morning, Abraham went to the place. Remember when he overlooked with the two angels? You guys remember that with the men? He overlooks. It says, early in the morning, Abraham went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And in verse 28, he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land of the plain, and he saw that the smoke was going up from the land like the smoke of a furnace. And in verse 29, so it was, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot had lived. You know what that means? It means because Lot is connected to the seed. Because of, yes, I really believe this, because of Abraham and who he is, First of all, Abraham was spared. Abraham could have been in that. Remember that? Remember how that whole discussion about Lot, you choose one way, Abraham choose another way? God spared Abraham. He even spared Lot because of the seed of Christ. And here you have this whole thing about God's bringing destruction. And I feel like he's showing us this destruction so that we can see how God's sparing us from that destruction. Romans 12 to Kevin, if you would. This is I'll close it out today. I think I've said that five times now. Don't be conformed to this age. Don't be conformed to the city's gates. Don't be conformed to the sexual lusts of men and women. Don't be conformed to the temptations, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be, that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Abraham could discern this. Lot was having a hard time discerning this. 
I don't know. I'm going to find this, and this isn't going to make any sense, but I'm going to do it because this is where the Lord's telling me. Kevin, would you go to Titus 3.5? Titus 3.5, I think this is the coolest thing. This is, this is what happened a lot. This is what happens to you and me. He saved us, not by the works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, that has nothing to do with what we've done. and has everything to do with His mercy. We're at a point where we need to plead for God's mercy. And my prayer is that you would see that that mercy can come because of the seed of Christ. All right, guys, thanks for joining us for Lesson 8. We'll talk to you tomorrow.